Everyone has a favorite preacher. Someone that you really, that they have a way of revealing the Word of God with power and clarity. Actually, I hope one of your favorites is here today. Bob Russell is that guy for me. Uh, I've read most of his books. I know him personally, have a friendship with him. Uh, he's, uh, I consider him a mentor to me. Bob Russell has the uncanny ability to make the complex quite simple and understandable. So I read, I read Bob Russell's weekly blog every Sunday night. Every Sunday night when I'm getting, it's late in the evening, I'll open up my phone and he, re, he releases a blog every Sunday night. I always read it on Twitter. He sent out one on June 16. And I want to use it today as a foundation to ask a question. The question is this, can you know for sure that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you right now? That's a pretty deep question. Can you know for sure that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you right now? This is a huge question because this question can also be worded this way. Can you know for sure that you are saved? Now, some people say that's arrogant. I disagree with you based on the Word of God, not my opinion. Can you know for sure you have the Holy Spirit inside of you and right now and that you are saved? You are under the blood of Christ. You are forgiven and set free. Do you want to know for sure? Are you sure you want to know for sure? Some of you might not want to know for sure because you might not like the answer of what you might know for sure today. Well, it's too late because you're going to find out. You're here. So let me begin with 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 from the Word of God. I believe what I hold in my hand is the only physical source of truth in this world. The only physical source of absolute truth. And here's what God's Word says. Therefore, my brothers, he's talking to Christians, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election what? Sure. Brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if, notice the condition, if you do, what? If you're all the more eager to make your call on election sure. If, if you do these things, you'll never fall. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Bible in the New American Standard calls it called and chosen. Be eager to be, to know. Be eager to know that you are called and be eager to know that you are chosen. Are you ready? Do you want to be sure? Here we go. 2 Corinthians 1.21. It is God who enables us, along with you, to stand firm in Christ or for Christ. He has commissioned. God has commissioned us and he has identified us as his own. God has commissioned us. He has identified us as his own. How? How? By placing the Holy Spirit 
in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees, that guarantees everything he's promised us. The Holy Spirit is God's first installment, claiming us as God's children, guaranteeing us that which is to come. Heaven's coming. Have you, God's Holy Spirit in us is a deposit guaranteeing, guaranteeing heaven's coming to those that have received the deposit. I'm planning on taking a vacation to Florida in October. And you know what they required me to do? They required me to send a deposit to guarantee that that room will be there when I say I'm going to arrive. Now, I'm not naive enough to believe that I can just show up in Florida and say, I thought you had something for me. I sent ahead a deposit. That deposit guarantees that when I arrive, that room will be available. If not, there's going to be trouble in Florida. God has made a deposit inside of you. It is the first installment. He's adding to that as time progresses. But the deposit in itself, in itself, is the guarantee that God will keep his promise. The Holy Spirit is not optional equipment for some few. Are you listening? The Holy Spirit is not optional equipment for the clergy or maybe for spiritual elders or leaders. It is not optional equipment. You are not saved without the Holy Spirit. Do you understand that? You are not saved without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is Christ in me. It is the redemption. Can you know for sure that you have the Holy Spirit? Can you know for sure that you've been called and chosen? Yes. 2 Corinthians 5, 4. You know, it's not, doesn't matter what our opinion is on this topic. What matters is what God's Word says. Verse 4. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and we sigh. But it's not that we want to die. It's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies. Somebody say hallelujah. We want to put on, I don't want to die. I want to put on my new body so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this. And as a guarantee, as a guarantee that I'm going to get a new body. He has given us one. Guarantee. He's given us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit guarantees me I'm going to get a new body. This Holy Spirit is a promise. God keeps his word. God's promise is to put your soul. Listen, church. A lot of people misunderstand this. God's promise is to put your soul, your spirit, your person in a brand new eternal body on the resurrection of the last day. You tell me some bigger news than that. Tell me something better than that. Go ahead. You don't have any. That's a guarantee. The Holy Spirit's present. The Holy Spirit's presence inside your current body is God's guarantee. Are you hearing me? The Holy Spirit's presence inside your current body is God's guarantee, promise to you right now while you wait, while you and I wait for the resurrection of the last day. 
God first offered this Holy Spirit deposit to the Jews. Listen, we're, we're in an age of grace. God first offered it to the Jews, but now he has offered the Holy Spirit deposit to the Gentiles. In fact, I believe that is the definition of the church age. The time in which he is open to the Gentile world, to the rest of the world, what? The Holy Spirit's deposit inside our flesh. Christ in me. Let me read it to you. Ephesians 1, verse 12. God's purpose was that we Jews, Paul was a Jew, God's purpose was that we Jews, who were the first to trust in God, trust in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. And now, you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed, when you believed in Christ, he did something. When you and I believed in Christ, he identified you as his own. How? By giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to what? Be his own people. He did this so that we would praise and glorify him. So let's do it. Somebody say hallelujah. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. What? He gave me the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing everything that's coming. Do you see it? Why this question is so big? Can you know for sure that the Holy Spirit lives in you right now? That you are saved right now? The Holy Spirit listen, is resurrection power. He doesn't bring resurrection power. He is resurrection power. And there is no resurrection power without the Holy Spirit. If you want to experience the resurrection on the last day, you must have the Holy Spirit's power living in you before the last day comes. You won't have time on the last day to receive the Holy Spirit. If you want the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit, you've got to get it before the last day comes. Let me make something very clear today. There are only two spirits. I keep saying Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. There's only two spirits. There's only two spirits. There's a Holy Spirit and there's an unholy spirit. You have two options here. And if the Holy Spirit does not live in you, then the unholy spirit has control of your life, owns you, and you live, and you live under the sin nature that has its origin in Satan. I want to say it again. If the Holy Spirit does not live in you today, then you live under the ownership, the authority of the unholy spirit which has its roots, its power source in Satan. Let me show you what that looks like. I want to show you what that looks like. Romans 8, 5. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature, think about sinful things. But those who are controlled, see the two groups? Those who are dominated by the sinful nature, they, they think about sinful things. It just comes natural. That's who they are because they don't have the Holy Spirit. They have the unholy spirit. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit 
Think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to what? Leads to what? Say it out loud. Leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. That's why those who are still under control of their sinful nature can never please God. If you are still under the, under the control, I want you to notice the wording. If you're still under the control of your sinful nature, let me make it simple. Satan owns you. He owns you. You belong to him. There are two spirits and they are at war with each other. Now listen, that does not mean that when you have the Holy Spirit, you never sin again. It does mean, it doesn't mean you're sinless, it means you sin less. Because you're under the conviction and the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean that you sin, never sin again, but you will not remain in that sin. You can't. Because the power of Christ won't let you. Because there's light in here. And light always drives out darkness. Always drives out darkness. The spirit of Satan is the sin nature. And it always has been hostile to God. And it will always rebel against the truth of God and God's laws. Unable and unwilling to please God. But what happens when the Holy Spirit comes inside of you? What happens when he comes inside of you? Next verse, verse 9. But you are not. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature anymore. Notice the word controlled. You're not controlled by your sinful nature. You're controlled by a different power. You're controlled by the Spirit. If you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. You see, without the Holy Spirit, you don't belong to God. You belong to His adversary. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die, you see, that spirit that lives inside of me does not keep me from physical death. Even though you will die because of sin, sin always causes death. The spirit gives you life because you've been made right with God. That's the resurrection. This is an either or situation. This is life and death situation. Who is the Holy Spirit anyway? I, I say the word, say the word, say the word, but you're never going to get it until you get this. So who is the Holy Spirit? Is, is he a it, a thing, or is he a person? He is Christ. He is God. Do you understand that? So when I say the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, what I'm saying is that Jesus Christ, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God comes inside of me. He lives inside of me. The only way to be made right with God is Christ. The Holy Spirit moves inside of your flesh. Now, all of that to say this. Next verse is so big. Verse 11. The Spirit of God. Spirit of God. Who raised Jesus from the dead. How did Jesus get up and walk out of that tomb? The Spirit of God. 
There's a power that, that's bigger than grave, bigger than death, bigger than sin, bigger than hell, bigger than Satan. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Does he? I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to follow you. I don't want to follow your teaching. If you don't know. What do you mean you don't know? I don't know. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. This is resurrection power. This is salvation into and unto eternal life. I've read to you the promises of God regarding the Holy Spirit moving into human bodies and living and reigning in power. You are purchased. There's a spiritual transaction that takes place. You are purchased by the blood of Christ. You are owned by God. You belong to God. You are a child of God. But back to the first question. Can you know for sure that the Holy Spirit lives in you right now? Now, after all that, I'm going to use Bob Russell's blog, his five questions. In that blog, he asks five questions to explain the biblical answer to this question. Not my opinion, not Bob Russell's opinion. What does the Bible say about the question? Can you know for sure the Holy Spirit lives inside of you? Which really means, can you know for sure that you are saved? Can you know for sure that the promises of God are yours personally? Can you? On the day of Pentecost, when the disciples were baptized in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit just came in power and authority. They had a sound, there was a sound like the blowing of a violent wind and a mysterious flame that resembled fire rested on each of them. And they all began to speak in other languages. In that scene, there were people gathered in Jerusalem for this feast of Pentecost from all over the world. They had come from different tribes and tongues and nations, but they were all Jews coming for the Jewish festival and they didn't all speak the same language. But now suddenly... Peter, Andrew, James, John, they're talking and the, and the talking becomes intelligible by anyone and everyone by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I say that for this reason. Listen carefully. Some insist if the Holy Spirit dwells in us, we will have a similar miraculous experience and we will be able to speak in unknown languages. I have a Pentecostal friend, he's a friend of mine, who made a statement to me one day years ago that he hoped one day I would be able to speak in tongues because he felt like that would mean I had graduated up to his level. To which I said, Pfft. You know why I say that? Because that's not what the Word of God says. I also thought it was rather arrogant and not very nice. But it appears that Pentecost was a once-in-a-lifetime event to jumpstart the church. In 1 Corinthians 12, 30, the Apostle Paul made it clear that even in the early church, not everyone spoke in tongues. Just as not everyone has the gift of prophecy. 
There are different gifts given to different people by God's choosing. Let me read it. 1 Corinthians 12, 30. Do we all have the gift of healing? No. Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. So the idea that somehow or another, you don't have the Holy Spirit unless you speak some foreign language, is somebody made that up. It's not in here. By the way, this is a big point. And I want to make this really clear today. I'm not even going to try today. I'm not even going to try today to tell you if the Holy Spirit lives in you right now. That's not my job. That is not my purpose. Nobody has to worry about me coming up to you and say, you do, you do, you do, you don't. It's not my job. It's not my purpose. I want you. Listen, I want you to determine that for yourself today, and I'll do the same. I'm going to take the Word of God, and I'm going to apply it to me, and I'm going to decide if I have the Holy Spirit living in me. And my advice to you today, my counsel to you today, is that you take this Word of God, and you apply it to you today, and you answer the question today. Does the Holy Spirit reside in me now, today? We'll use five questions. They're not complicated. They are the source of Bob Russell's blog to seek the answer to this question. Here are five questions that help determine if the Holy Spirit's living in you. And all five, listen, all five are not my opinion. They're not Bob Russell's opinion. They're based on Scripture. Here we go. Number one. Number one. Are you ready? Say, uh uh-huh. That was weak. Are you ready? Say, uh uh-huh. Okay, here we go. Have you put your trust in Christ, repented, and been baptized? Let's lay the foundation. Let's lay the foundation. Have you put your trust in Christ? You have repented of your sins, acknowledged your sin, repented of that sin, which means you've turned from it, and you have been baptized, and I'm referring in water. Now, if you can say no to those, you've got a problem already. You've already got a problem. It's yes or no. You did or you didn't. And why do I say that? I say that based on the book of Acts. Chapter 2, 38. It is the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit has come and Peter's preaching a sermon he did not write. The Holy Spirit's preaching this sermon through Peter's mouth. And here's what he says. Peter replied, each of you must, each of you must repent of your sins, turn to God, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ to show that you have received forgiveness of your sins. And then what's going to happen? Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent, turn to God, be baptized. Did you? I'll give you a second. Did you? Is this complicated? Are any of those outside your reach? Any of those outside your ability? Well, I can't do that. Well, yeah, you can. Anybody can do that. You don't want to. You're afraid to. You don't know what will happen. If I give up control of myself, that means I belong to God. He'll send me to Ethiopia. I'll live in a hut. I'll go to Camp Calvary in the middle of summer and have to do all that stuff with those kids. 
When you gave your life to Christ. Did you hear me? When you gave your life to Christ, you were baptized into him. You were given the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's a promise from our God who does not lie. You were given a gift. You didn't earn a gift. You didn't buy a gift. You received a gift. I'm not saying, listen, 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 don't misquote me. I am not saying the only way to receive the Holy Spirit is through water baptism. I did not say that, nor will I say that. But it is a promised way of God. And he does not lie. Each of you should repent of your sins. Turn to God and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the one that connected water and the Spirit. Not me. Jesus connected water and the Spirit to entering the kingdom of heaven, right? He looks at Nicodemus and says, no one's going to enter the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again of the water and the Spirit. He connected it. I'm not going to apologize for it. Maybe when you got baptized, you felt ecstatic. Maybe you didn't feel much of anything at all. This is not about your feelings. It is not about your emotions. Emotions vary according to your background, your age, your temperament, and your understanding. But just as you are married when you walk back down the aisle after a wedding ceremony, whether you felt married or not, you're married. So you are granted the Holy Spirit, whether you feel euphoric or not. I can tell you when I was baptized, I was about 13 years old. They did it in Salt River in Glensboro down below the bridge. We didn't have a baptistry in our church. I remember to this day, I don't remember much about that time, but I remember this. When I got back to my grandma's house, I still had on wet, soggy clothes, and I remember running upstairs to change clothes, and I think I hit that step. There's probably 12 steps going upstairs. I think I hit three of them. I was euphoric. I was like, I can fly. I can fly. But maybe that's not your story. If that baptism event, if, if, if that baptism event was sincere, which means you, di you didn't do it because your buddy did it. You did it because you were giving yourself to God. You were sincere. You truly repented and you truly turned to God and trusted God with your very life. And his promise is he's going to give you the Holy Spirit. That's why I can't answer that question for you today. I can only answer that question for me today. Now listen, when I say baptism, I am not talking about a baby baptism. When you take a baby and put water on them, I'm not talking about that. Because you know what, that baby didn't choose anything. That baby did not turn to God. That baby did not repent of their sin. And that baby did not cry out, that wasn't baptized in Jesus' name because of something that they chose to do. I'm not talking about a baby baptism. I'm talking about a, a born-again baptism, an adult, life-changing baptism. But if you truly did that, the Bible promises that Christ is in you right now, the hope of glory. You must, listen, listen, one last thing on this first question. But then you must, you must, 
remain in Christ. Did you hear me? You must remain in Christ. This is not a hell shot. People go to the doctor and get a flu shot because the flu shot keeps me from getting the flu. People go to the baptistry sometimes because they think they got a hell shot. And it'll keep me from going to hell. That is not what baptism is. You must remain in Christ. Which means this idea that I repent of my sins becomes my life. That if ever any sin comes into my life now that I have the Holy Spirit, I have to repent. I cannot, I cannot deal with one day. I cannot deal with one day. One day with unrepentant sin. The Holy Spirit convicts me. Number two. Number two. This is going to surprise some of you. Have you prayed for the filling of the Holy Spirit? I'll give you a second. Have you? Lord, would you fill me with your Spirit? In Luke eleven eleven, this is what Jesus says. You fathers... If your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father, what's he going to give you? How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You mean that's in there? That's in there. How much more will he give you the Holy Spirit if you ask for the Holy Spirit? Did you ask God for the filling of the Holy Spirit? Why not? I got to tell you something personal on this one. Some 20 years ago, I began praying a crazy prayer. I didn't tell anybody about it. It was very personal. I prayed it probably, I'm guessing, about five years. Every day for five years. And I had studied the Old Testament during that period, and I was really under conviction about this relationship between Elijah and Elisha. And how God had done his thing between these two prophets that, quite frankly, frankly, just set up the entire coming of Christ. And something happened in this relationship between Elisha and Elijah. In that relationship, Elisha, who was the successor of Elijah as the prophet of God, did a crazy thing. He asked God for a double portion of Elisha's spirit, of Elijah's spirit. So, about 20 years ago, for five years, I prayed a crazy prayer. I asked God for an extra measure of His Spirit for five years. Let me read the story to you. 2 Kings chapter 2. Fifty men from the group of prophets also went and watched from a distance as Elijah and Elisha stopped beside the Jordan River. Then Elijah folded his cloak together and struck the water with it. The river divided, and the two of them went across on dry ground. When they came to the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I can do for you before I am taken away. Elijah is about to get a chariot ride to heaven. He's not going to die. God's going to come and get him. A picture of the future rapture of the church. What can I do for you before I'm taken away? And Elisha replied, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah replied. If, and Elijah replied, if you see me when I am taken from you, then you will get your request. But if not, then you won't. 
And as they were walking along and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared. And by the way, Elisha's getting to see this. And Elisha sees the chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses who were on fire. And it drove between Elijah and Elisha, between the two men, separating them. And Elijah was carried up by a whirlwind into heaven. Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. I guess Elisha got a double portion and a double share. He saw Elijah's rapture. Now listen, listen, I'm going to say something carefully. I'm not sure what I got. I'm not sure what portion I got. But I'm going to tell you, I am convinced that God honored that five-year prayer. I am convinced. He lives in me. It is his power and his authority in me right now. I'm sure. Dwight Moody, famous preacher, was once asked why he frequently prayed for, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he said, because I leak. Indeed, on occasion, we all quench the Holy Spirit in our lives. In Acts chapter 2, it relates Simon Peter was baptized by the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Then two chapters later, we read Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. It, it requires a continual filling of the Holy Spirit. Not just a once-in-a-lifetime event, but a continually filling of the Holy Spirit. Because we do leak. We should pray every day. Lord, fill me anew with your spirit today. Give me the power to overcome temptation, to cope with suffering, to witness with boldness, to understand your word, and to remain calm in the midst of turbulent times. Jesus promised, ask and you will receive. Question number three. Is the fruit of the spirit growing and evident in your life? I'll give you a second. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Is it growing and evident in your life? It is the fruit of the Spirit. Is it? Galatians 5.22. But the Holy Spirit produces. I love that. I don't know how to produce these things. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. And those who belong, look at the word belong. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature. That's the other spirit. They've nailed them to his cross and crucified them there. Why? Because you've got the Holy Spirit. You don't need the unholy spirit. Since we are living by the spirit, living by the spirit, let us follow the spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Fruit enlarges and ripens over time. If you are growing more self-centered and cantankerous as you age, then perhaps the Holy Spirit isn't living in you and you need to be born again. Older Christians should view evidence of increased fruit. The older you get, and if you're in Christ, there should be an evidence of increased fruit, not a decreasing in fruit. Well, I'm getting older, so I'm not producing any fruit. Do you think the Holy Spirit runs out of power because your body does? 
As you age, there ought to be an increase of fruit, an increase of compassion, joy, patience, kindness. God, Jesus told us that we could know people. Listen, one of, the, one of the favorite words of the world is, don't judge me. Don't judge me. Jesus says you can judge people by the fruit. He did, not me. Jesus says you can judge people by their fruit that comes from their heart, that comes from their spirit. There's something that the Holy Spirit produces, and there's something that the unholy spirit produces, and they're not the same fruit. It's different fruit. Jesus said this, Luke 6, 43. I love the simplicity. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. Is that easy? A good tree can't produce bad fruit. And a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs never grow on thorn bushes, nor grapes on bramble bushes. A good person produces good things from the treasury of what? A good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. Is the Holy Spirit in your heart? Then that's the fruit that comes out of your life. Number four. Are you sensitive to the moving of the Holy Spirit? I'll give you a second. Are you sensitive to the moving of the Holy Spirit? Are you listening? Are you watching? Are you attentive to the Spirit, to that still, small, quiet voice? If God came and spoke to you in a still, small, quiet voice, would you hear him? In 1 Corinthians 2.13, when we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, instead we speak words given to us by the Spirit. Using the Spirit's words, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. But people who aren't spiritual, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, but people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Those who are spiritual can evaluate all things, but they themselves can't, cannot be evaluated by others. For who can know the, the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? But we understand these things. Here it comes, here it comes. Almost too much for me to say out loud. But we have the mind of Christ. Whoa. How is that possible? Because he lives in me. It was years ago, years and years and years ago, I just was sitting here, and I'm convinced the Holy Spirit showed me this, that I was in a moment where I was a little overwhelmed by this, this responsibility of calling people to Christ. Sometimes it's overwhelming to me. And, and then God revealed this. He said, Terry, do you remember when Jesus stood on the shore and he called Peter, Andrew, James, and John? 
and he just called them. And the Bible doesn't get a lot of interaction. It's just they just dropped their nets and took off and followed, just left everything and followed him. The power of that voice, the power of that calling compelled these four men to just abandon everything and just follow Jesus. And, and in that moment, the Holy Spirit said, that same person lives in you. The same person. And if the Holy Spirit is the one preaching and the authority that comes from the preachers that he calls, then that same voice is still the one calling today. It's the same Spirit. It's the same Holy Spirit. Are you sensitive? Are you still waiting for something big to happen for you to come to Christ? Lord, shake my world and I'll come. You better be careful what you ask for. Or do you want something big to come to Christ? What's it going to take? I'm going to ask you, what's it going to take? Are you sensitive to the Holy Spirit? Would you hear him if he came in a whisper? One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament, again, I told you I, I love the Elijah-Elisha thing. Well, before Elijah goes to meet Elisha, He's on Mount Carmel. When we were in Israel a few weeks ago, one of my favorite spots in Israel is to go to the top of Mount Carmel. There's a picture of Elijah up there with his foot on the throat of one of those prophets of Baal. Not very politically correct these days, but he's got his sword about to kill them. And in that scene, Elijah calls down fire from heaven, supernatural encounter with God, and then he's called by God to the mountain of God. 40 days, 40 nights, he's got to travel. 40 days, 40 nights, he's got to travel by himself to the mountain of God where God's going to speak to him. Let me read it to you. 1 Kings 19. God to Elijah. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, What are you doing here, Elijah? When Elijah was called into God's presence on the mountain, he did not find God in the fire. He did not find God in the earthquake or the wind. He found God in the whisper. Be still. Be still. I'm going to ask you a question. How much time in your day do you turn everything on and listen? How much time in your day do you get on your knees and ask the Holy Spirit to fill you and listen? I'm convinced that Satan's greatest tool is distraction. Busy, noisy distraction. Chasing after everything and God, what if he's talking in the whisper and you never hear him? Because you've never set aside a time in which your sole purpose is to listen. What happens? Are you sensitive to the Holy Spirit? What happens when you experience a powerful time of worship here? 
Let me ask you more personal. Have you ever experienced a time of worship here where you're so moved that you can't hardly contain yourself? Because I do. Have you? Are you sensitive to the Holy Spirit? What happens when you hear the Word of God preached in the power of the Holy Spirit? Does it ever affect you? What happens when you see someone come forward in repentance to be baptized? Does it move you? Or are you like looking at your watch, wondering how fast you can get out the back door? Do you have the Holy Spirit in you as God's angels are rejoicing because one is called upon his name and you've got something more important to do? How much time have you set aside in your day for the whisper? If the moment of God's Spirit, excuse me, if the movement of God's Spirit in a worship service doesn't thrill you, maybe you're not filled with the Holy Spirit And today would be a good time for you to repent. But if you're hungry to worship, I got to tell you, I just spent a week in camping. You know what we do every day? We worship. Those kids, they they sing. I sang so much this past week, I was worried about being able to preach this week. Just because my voice just seems so strained all the time. In fact, it's always amazing to me how it usually takes till about Wednesday for all the distractions to be moved out of the way so the Holy Spirit can do His work. But by Wednesday, typically their hearts have been laid bare because they're exposed to worship, to the Word, and to prayer, to worship the Word and prayer, to worship the Word and prayer, worship the Word and prayer. And after a little while of that and all the distractions are moved, suddenly our heart becomes tender. And God does his work. Listen to that gentle whisper. By the way, you're not finished bearing fruit until he comes to get you. To some of you who think that you can retire, you made that up. You made that up. It didn't come from God. Number five, last one. Does your conscience convict you when you sin. And listen, I'm going to be really specific. And when I say when you sin, I'm talking about the sins of commission and the sins of omission. When he convicts you for the things you did and when he convicts you for the things you didn't do. Both. Jesus tells us this is going to happen when the Holy Spirit comes. John 16, 5. Jesus said this, but now I'm going away to the one who sent me, and not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it's best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate, the advocate is the Holy Spirit. But if I don't go away, the advocate won't come. And if I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, are are you ready? When he comes, something's going to happen. And when he comes, he will convict. So I'm asking the fifth question. Does sin still convict you? When he comes, he will convict the world of its sin, of God's righteousness, and the coming judgment. The Holy Spirit always does these three things. Is he doing it in you? He's doing it in me. 
convicts of sin. He reveals what's wrong so you can repent and stop any sins of commission, any sins that you are doing that you shouldn't be doing. He also convicts of right so that you'll start doing the things that you should have been doing and you're not doing. What? Loving your neighbor as yourself. Leaving your selfish life behind you and loving people besides you. And he, in Jesus' Olivet Discourse, I remember years ago I preached that series and one thing I can never get out of my mind is in his, that's the second longest single teaching of Jesus in the Bible. And not once does he talk about a sin of commission. He only talks about sins of omission. He separates the sheep and the goats on the last day based on the sins of omission, which means you were supposed to do this and you never did this. And we think that the sin only is the other way. It's only that sins of commission, things I did. What about the things you were supposed to do that you never did? The Holy Spirit convicts. And finally, the Holy Spirit convicts of judgment. There's a coming judgment when God's going to settle accounts. You hear me? The Holy Spirit convicts of sin, righteousness, and the coming judgment. Bob Russell tells a funny story. Years ago, the IRS set up a conscience fund in which people could pay back taxes anonymously just to relieve their guilt. One guy sent in two $100 bills with a note attached that read, I cheated on my taxes years ago, and I can't get it off my mind. If I still can't sleep, I'll send the rest later. (laughs) The Bible warns against quenching the Spirit, stifling the Spirit. I'm going to ask you, does your life stifle the Spirit? 1 Thessalonians 5, 19. Don't do it. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. When the conscience becomes seared, that's the King James word. When the conscience becomes seared because of repetitive rebellion, you can sin without ever noticing. But if you feel guilty when you cheat on your tax return, and you feel guilty when you get drunk at an office party or get caught at a pornographic website, or you lose your temper and swear, lie to your boss, or snap at your mate, that's evidence that the Spirit is still alive in your life. When your conscience troubles you, that does not mean God has abandoned you. Guilt is an indication that the Holy Spirit is still active in your life, convicting you of your sin and motivating you to repent. I'll tell you when you should be most afraid, when you no longer feel guilt. When he no longer convicts you of sin. That means he's not there. But don't test God. Repent and turn around and face Him with the truth. There you go. There you go. Five questions to help you determine if the Holy Spirit lives in you right now. So I'm going to ask everybody a question. How'd you do? Can you know for sure? Did the Spirit speak to you today? Do you have eyes that can see, ears that can hear, and a heart that can believe, receive, and obey? 
What if you can't? Or what if you refuse to listen? Yes, there is another spirit. But you have no obligation to follow that lying spirit into the darkness of hell. No obligation. You don't have to. You can say no to Satan and yes to Christ today, today, right now, today. Today is the day of salvation. Romans 8, 12. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit, (laughs) all who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now, we all, we cry out, Abba, Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Let's say it out loud. We are God's children. Let's say it out loud. We are God's children. His spirit joins with my spirit that I cry out, we are God's children. Verse 17, and since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are sharing his glory, you got to be willing to share in his suffering. Because the unholy spirit's still here. He's still reigning in power and authority until Jesus comes. So have you received the spirit of adoption? I testify today. Without apology, I am the blood-bought son of the Most High God. I'm one of his children, one of many children around the world. I testify. I belong to God. The Holy Spirit lives in me right now. The Holy Spirit lives in me right now. Some people say that sounds arrogant. No, it's called faith. I believe in the promises of God. I see the evidence of God in my own life. The fruit. Two final questions. Two final questions. Listen carefully. Number one, is there a point of no return? You've quenched the spirit for too long. Is there a point? Yes. Romans chapter 1 says he will turn you over to a depraved mind, a reprobate mind, a mind that can no longer tell good and evil, right and wrong, up and down, light and dark. You won't be able to tell. You won't be under convicted by anything. You'll just live under your sin nature, and the unholy spirit owns you, and you will not recover. Is there a place of no return? Romans 1 says, yes, there is. I don't know where it's at. I don't know who's in that or where that line is. I don't know. Number two, can you fall away? What's the Bible say? Not what does somebody say, what does the Bible say? Can you fall away and reject the Holy Spirit that you at one time in your life, at least you thought at one time in your life, you received by faith? Yes. You can fall away. Yes. 2 Peter 1. I opened with this. I'll close with this. Verse 11. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. Because if you do, 
What if you don't? If you do these things, you'll never fall. But what if you don't do these things? And you'll receive a rich welcome into your eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And what if you don't do these things? And what if you don't make your calling and election sure? Listen, I'm going to tell you, I don't know where that line is. The Bible says clearly there is a point of no return. That many will abandon their faith. Jesus himself said in the last days, the love of most will go crowed. And they will abandon their faith and turn to false teachers and false doctrine. Jesus predicts it in the last days. I don't know where that line is, but the Apostle John makes it so clear that we shouldn't have a debate on the issue. 1 John 3, 7. Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil, who had been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the work of the devil. And those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning, because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they're children of God. So now we can tell who the children of God, who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. Is that complicated? No, it's not. Can you know for sure? So here they are, last five questions. Have you put your trust in Christ, repented, and been baptized? Yes or no? You can do every one of those today. Today. I'm going to give you that in just a moment. Number two, have you prayed for the filling of the Holy Spirit? You can do that right now. Number three, is the fruit of your spirit growing and evident in your life? That will be a result of number one and number two. Number four, are you sensitive to the moving of the Spirit right now? Number five, does your conscience convict you when you're sin? We were in Vesper service this past week. John Lee Hawkins was speaking. And Sadie Adams, who's sitting right over here somewhere, there she is. Sadie Adams came up after the service. She came up during invitation time. I want to tell you what she said to me. She said, I was sitting there, and he was talking, and all of a sudden, something on the inside of me started to knot up. And she said, my hands got all sweaty, and I started to cry, and I didn't even know why I was crying. And I said, Sadie, that's the Holy Spirit. This young girl was sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Today, in just a minute, I'm going to go backstage, and I'm going to baptize Sadie. And Will's going to come stand up here, and he's going to take my spot, and I'm going to go do Sadie's baptism. And I'm going to tell you, there's some other people in this room today need to follow me back through that door. Because I know for a fact there's people in here that have not been baptized. I don't get it. I'm not shaming you. I love you. I love you. But if, this is your, if you fall into this category today, every bit of this is within your reach. It's all right there. It's right there in front of you. So we're going to sing this song. Sadie and I are going to go backstage. And I encourage any of you today that need to be baptized, why don't you come on back there? I'll already be wet, so come on. Father, would your Holy Spirit do your work today for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen.